Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, and it is time for another mailbag where I answer your questions, your observations, your takes, and ultimately your comments on tennis and other things. But this week, I gave you a theme to which you were supposed to base your comments on, which was who is your favorite player to watch? And in the interest of getting different names, I asked that if you chose a member of the Big Four to also give me someone else. Although I didn't say you couldn't choose two members of the Big Four. Anyway, uh, that is what we are going to do today. After uh, a quick shout out to our friends at Player Court. Player Court is where to go if you need someone uh, to find a local coach a practice partner, or someone to play a match against. In fact, I had a hit this morning using Player Court. It was wonderful, um, and I recommend you do the same because the number one reason people stop playing tennis is because they can't find anyone to play with. I don't want that to happen to you, so I've arranged a special 50% discount for you to join the Player Court community using the special link, playercourt.com backslash gillgross. There were a couple of comments that I missed in the last mailbag, two of them to be exact, so I am going to answer them at the start of this one before we get into your favorite players from Swagat. Hey Gil, this is a comment that got missed, yada yada yada. Why do you think Nadal is it in his 30s? has been a better and more consistent player than Federer in his 30s. Nadal has won seven slams in his 30s, while Fed has only won four, despite being six years older than Rafa, despite Fed having a much less physical style. Also, with all due respect to Federer, why does the media keep referring to them as the big three when it's been the big two since at least 2020 and Fed last won a slam more than four years ago? Well, uh, to answer the second part first, it depends on like the framework of the discussion. Like in a lot of respects, it you know needs to be referred to as the big three because the era is still the big three era because we're not counting you know 2019 and beyond. If we're talking about a time period of 2019 and beyond, then then you can talk about a big two. But generally when the media is referring to this era or yeah, it's still, it's still usually the big three because you got to count Federer and the success that he had in the 2010s, which did surpass really anyone else other than Nadal and Djokovic uh, for the most part. So uh, yeah, there's that. And then if you're talking about influence and popularity, then of course Federer would also still be included in that. Not to mention the last time you know, when he has played, when he has been healthy, he really has been in the mix. I mean, if you forget about like last year's mess of a comeback where his knee really still wasn't good and he wasn't still at a high level, he left off the start of 2020 making a semifinal at the Australian Open. And then two tournaments before that, he had match points at Wimbledon. So, I feel like the book hasn't closed on Federer's contendership when healthy, and there hasn't been enough chapters written where he's been playing and he hasn't been really competing, if that makes sense. As for the first part, I had to think about this pretty hard 
And I like the question. I, I haven't really heard it framed in this way. And I would say that it is somewhat surprising and it goes against what everyone's punditry and predictions for the most part would have suggested, which is not only that Nadal was going to have difficulty having success into his 30s due to his physical play style, but when Federer was still contending through his 30s, it was seen as this kind of spectacular phenomenon that was due to Roger's attacking play style and his way of moving around the court, very fluid, very downstream. But when you look at the numbers, of course, it's kind of gone the other way. Well, one of the more results-based answers to this question is that Nadal has remained the player to beat on clay where Federer kind of lost his stranglehold on Wimbledon in his 30s. He's lost three Wimbledon finals to Djokovic, 14, 15, and 19 in his 30s. And that's the kind of thing that Nadal has been able to avoid, continuing to rack up the titles in Paris, winning four in a row from uh, 17, 18, 19, and 20. So that's kind of the results-based answer. But the technical, that doesn't really get to the why. If you want to get to the why, you have to go to the simple fact that Nadal has improved more in his 30s to make up for his physical decline. Federer had the physical decline. His movement was not as good. His endurance, more importantly, declined. And he just didn't get better in enough areas compared to Nadal to really sustain the pace of winning that he was able to establish in the 2000s. I would also say that from a clutchness perspective, while Nadal has had some difficulties in general in certain pockets off of clay being clutch, he's been more clutch and he's won more pressure. He's come through in more pressure situations than Federer. But yeah, really, uh, you have to point to just how much Nadal has improved. Federer's improvement with his backhand was significant, flattening it out more, taking it earlier, doing more damage off of that. But there just hasn't been quite as much improved as as there was for Nadal. Uh, the other comment that I missed in the last mailbag is this. Hey, Gil, last time you said to remind you, blah, blah, blah. I wonder, how would you rate Nadal's speed currently? We always talk about how his how he has declined defensively, but just how much? From, 20, from 2005 to 2012, Nadal was one of the fastest players on tour. So his decline taken into account, how fast is he now as a fraction of his peak and compared to his peers? He obviously isn't as fast as Dimonor now or, say, Medvedev, but is he as mobile as Berrettini, Chapeau, Felix, Fritz? Thanks. Um, and then the comment goes on to say his favorite player is Nadal. Team is his second. Well, um, I think he is quite a bit faster than most of the players who you named in the Berrettini, Chapeau, Felix, Fritz group. And in the case of uh, Fritz and Berrettini, he's, he's much faster still. Chapeau and Felix... I think that the the speed is actually comparable, but the defense is just so much better. And Felix is now getting a lot better defensively. Uh, but you have to kind of take into account, so footwork and positioning, 
the way he he positions himself on the court defensively, the way he anticipates is going to help him cover the court better. So where he doesn't really have probably the best measurable speed, if you did like a 40-yard dash or like a three-cone drill, which I, I feel like non-Americans probably don't know what a three-cone drill is, but uh, it's like a football combine thing. Um, yeah, like in the measurables, he's probably declined more, but when it comes to how he covers the court, like he can he can still defend pretty darn well. I would say... I mean, he probably moves as well as, like, team or, or defends as well as, like, team. So he really – he's really still pretty good. It's just he can't – you know, it, it just used to be on another level. But he, he's still a very good defensive player. It's not a weakness at all. All right, now we will get to favorite players, and these are in alphabetical order. Um. Baez, Schwartzman, and McDonald because you got to support the short kings. But on a real though, as someone who lacks in the height department, Baez's game is a nice model tactically to learn for my game. Diego with a similar reason as mentioned, but more as an inspiration for his achievements. And as for McDonald, his varied game style due to his natural talent is really entertaining. And also a shout out to Ferrer, although uh, they did not... They were not able to watch him. Well, despite this only being the first comment because Baez starts with a B, uh, it's a great way to start because you guys know, or if you're new to the channel, David Ferrer was the player who I who I fell for. That was the player who tugged on the heartstrings, the player who I rooted for. And I've talked about this before on the channel, but doing this you know, as a job and having to analyze and predict and all of that, it's really taken the fan out of me. And Nowadays, I, I really do not care uh, who wins and, and who loses, other than usually I prefer that my pick is correct. When I do make a pick, I would like I would like to be right. Uh, so this is a great place to start because this is kind of where my fandom uh, of Ferrer came from. I, I just saw a player who, and by the way, it's a reason why I got into tennis because uh, my other sport was actually baseball. And the thing is with, batting in baseball is I lacked power. I was a singles hitter. Tennis, it was a sport that I I felt like I could be great at, like my height wouldn't hold me back. So that was one of the reasons why I was so intrigued uh, with tennis as a sport. And then that one-on-one -on -one battle, that agency, I really liked it as a mental uh, mono e mono war. And I embraced that. So those were, that's kind of my origin story when it comes to tennis. And if you watch me play, uh, I, you know, you do see a lot of Ferrer in the way I hit my forehand. I technically kind of modeled after that. Not everything is Ferrer, but uh, I felt like Ferrer played the way that I needed to play, which is work super hard, be in great shape, use the forehand, try not to miss, and be very, very tough. And, you know, for Baez and Schwartzman and McDonald, not exactly... Ferrer-like players specifically, and I got to study Baez more. I haven't really gotten to that. I've enjoyed his tennis for sure, but I, I got to really dig into him a little bit more. Um, Schwartzman, Schwartzman is, you know, he's super talented. Like, he's got amazing ball striking in a way that I, I compare him. He's in between Ferrer and Fanini because Fanini is short, 
but he's not a grinder. He's not really a worker. He's a talent guy, racket talent guy. You know, Ferrer, not a big racket talent guy, was a lot, you know, fitness, mental, tenacity. Uh, Schwartzman's kind of in between, but he's extremely fast, extremely quick. And you know what? You're not going to see really many short players, period, who don't have a ton of, who have success if they are short and not very fast. So uh, Schwartzman's foot speed is also incredible and his defense. Uh, McDonald is is interesting. He's more of a Fanini. He's got great, I love the way he hits the ball. Super gorgeous, clean, pure ball striking. Comes through the forehand super flat. And um, But I, I do worry about how his height could could kind of get in the way of his success because he does kind of have a, a power offense game. And you just wonder... How much, how far can that take him at his height? But I agree. Pleasure to watch Mackie McDonald. JJ, hear me out. Alexander Bublik. I like to watch him because his only purpose is to have fun on the court. His talent is also something to marvel at. The more you watch him, though, the more frustrated you become that he has all the skill in the world and doesn't really care about the sport of tennis. If you want to watch someone who cares and is competitive, my go-to is Aslan Karatsev. It is really fun to watch his unorthodox, all-aggressive style. Nobody really plays like Karatsev. That, that's that's an interesting choice. And I'm pretty sure he, JJ's the only person who put Karatsev. But yeah, like no one really plays like that. It kind of, I'll be honest. And like, this is totally subjective. I just want to say right now, before we get further into this video, there are no right or wrong answers here. There's like, this is completely subjective. I don't really like watching either of those players all that much. Now, I think Karatsev is is awesome, like when he's on, but like, does it frustrate me that he just makes tons of unforced errors in bunches and just sometimes is completely generous with how many mistakes he makes? Yeah, like, I, I I never really love those kinds of players. And then for Bublik, I do think he's funny and I like him as a person, but I just can't really get behind his play style. I feel like he's like a... I, I just... I don't know. It's it, Obviously, he, he has the big serve, but then he's not very aggressive off the ground other than kind of forcing his way forward sometimes and using the drop shot. But also he's kind of, he's like a big serving counter puncher like Zverev or Medvedev, but he's way slower than them. So like, I don't know, you know, he, he has a lot of skills and a lot of talent, but I just can't really get behind Bublik and his play style for some reason. ATP Del Potro, forehand of Thor, heart of a teddy bear, inspiring. WTA Radvanska, outclassed in physical out attributes, but maximized through talent and variety of shot making. Each match was like watching a puzzle being solved. I love watching, especially WTA players who legitimately can't hit the ball hard and still just kind of figure out ways to win. And in Radvanska's case, like the way... She moved the ball around the court by kind of timing stroke after stroke down the line or short angle cross court. Just the the way she used the geometry of the court with her placement was a pleasure to watch and her pace absorption. And I, I really miss Radvanska. And Shea Suwe is like a much kind of worse version of her. That's uh, 
a little bit also more extreme version of her. But yeah, I, I hope that another Radvanska comes around because I agree that she was she was super fantastic to watch. And then, yeah, I mean, Del Potro, I, I, I can't disagree with you there either. I loved watching Delpo. J.A. Dimitrov, for me, he's got the smooth strokes of Federer with more flexibility and just an eye-catching, explosive way of moving. He seems to genuinely appreciate the sport. Sometimes frustrating watching his matches, but still love him. I love that you mention the explosive way and the eye-catching way that he moves. He is a gorgeous mover, and I feel like the Federer comparisons were a little bit off in the sense that not all of his strokes are beautiful. I don't find his forehand, you know, it's not ugly by any means. Like, in fact, I think it's pretty nice looking, but his one-handed backhand and his forehand, it's not to the level of aesthetic purity as Federer, in my opinion, but his movement, while it's different from Federer, it's not, it's not like as graceful at all. The something about the way he moves is really fun to watch. And I feel like Dimitrov probably has a lot of the best scrambles every single year. If you put together the best defensive points, the most incredible examples of turning around a point where you look down and out or, or a player looked down and out and had to come up with a couple of spectacular defensive gets. I feel like Dimitrov would definitely be up there. He is a highlight reel and he just doesn't have a big enough weapon to be a consistent elite player. But he, uh, I agree that he's a pleasure to watch and his movement is really right up there for reasons why. IDC, my all-time favorite player to watch has always been Novak. I feel like his game style and character on and off the court in a way resonate with me. I love that constant problem solving, that focus in the eyes, that passion, that determination, that desire to win. I appreciate all these emotional roller coasters, the ups and downs he and I together are living through during the matches. It's just so humane. The way he overcomes obstacles in his tennis match career and his life in general is super inspiring. I love that feeling when I'm holding my breath because I feel like someone already won the point, but Novak just refuses to lose it and somehow puts another ball in play, loving also his agility, all-court game, tactical adjustments, and his sliding backhand is probably my favorite shot. Second one would probably be Tommy Paul right now. Just love his game style and shot making. Also, I really like Alcaraz. There is a lot of love for Alcaraz in this comment section, by the way. Tommy Paul I did not see coming at all, so... Yeah, I have nothing to add to it, uh, but but that I'm, I'm just surprised. Uh, the Novak thing, yeah, the the humanity and like that's what I think. It's so funny, and I, I knew this was coming. But reading through these comments, you have some that are going to point to, and I won't get too into this, but are going to point to kind of the more even keeledness, the sportsmanship in the sense of like not really being angry and, and having that kind of level-headedness um, and etiquette on the court. But to others, the humanity of Djokovic's sort of ups and downs in a lot of his more difficult matches are are going to resonate with, with other fans. And it's really a, a personal preference, and that's why 
I, you know, that's why I, I kind of, from an outsider's perspective, I'm kind of accepting of all different personalities and conducts on court, unless it comes at the expense of someone else, like a ball person or an umpire. And only then will I really call out a player's behavior on court. Because other than that, it's it's to each their own. Like, And if you want to dislike a player for the way they act, cool. That's, that's sports. You root for certain athletes and teams you root against other athletes and teams that's the whole point of this so you're never going to see me calling out uh players for smashing rackets you're just not and um you know if if you hate it that's fine like i i would also never call you out for hating it either if you know what i mean and that's not me like trying to please everyone and not upset everyone that's literally how i feel it's better for the sport if you have people who act differently in different ways that galvanize or perhaps polarize different sorts of fans as for novak i agree that the best part of the the most exciting part of his game um is probably his his scrambling um, and the way he moves in defense to me is the most thrilling part of Novak's game. But then if you're a real junkie for like technique and if you're like have the mind of a coach and you like things done, done textbook and like perfect that then you, that's also another reason why Novak's game really stands out because everything is so finely tuned with the way he plays the game. From Paul, I am really into next-gen players, mostly FAA number one and Hercotch number two, as they are who I feel the most gentlemanly players on tour. There you go, folks. I am also excited for Carlos and Berrettini to see where they go. Gail Monfils is also a player I look forward to watching to see what stunts he will perform. Not a fan of the of the group I feel bends the rules or abuses referees and ball kids, i.e. Tsitsipas, Zverev, Medvedev, but I still follow their performance. In summary, top five is FAA, Hercotch Monfils, Alcaraz, Berrettini. FAA gets the cake because, because of his exceptional skills, and he represents me as a minority and as a Canadian. His recent performance suggests that he can be at the top of the next gen. Thank you, Uncle Tony. Otherwise, watching Felix games would be difficult for my cardiac health. I love it. I feel like uh, the big three have been around too long and have become boring to me. Not their play, which remains very impressive, but who they are. I like each of them in different ways and wish them all the best. However, I am tired of the sport being reduced to just them and who is the GOAT. Yeah, uh, wow. I mean, there's so much to unpack. That's a great comment. Um, I would say... Yeah, I mean, the gentlemanly thing speaks to my last point. Uh all of the players you chose are, I don't know much about Alcaraz off the court, but uh, total sweethearts off the court and like super popular players that everyone gushes about and raves about. Like nobody has a rivalry with Hubert Hercotch or Gail Monfils or FAA. Like these are just loved players that you seem to gravitate towards. Players with with personalities that are, uh, are very um, attractive to not only you know, not only fans who value sort of like niceness, right, but also uh, the colleagues, right? Like everyone, all players gush about Monfils, for example, and and love him. 
Um, let's see. Yeah, I mean, representation is important. And I'm I'm super surprised that there were not more comments that said like, hey, Gil, like I'm from, um, I don't know, I'm from Bulgaria. So Dimitrov is my guy. Like, I'm just surprised I didn't see more of that. I, I don't know why I picked Bulgaria, I guess, because it was a, a country with like only one significant and popular player. Or I'm from Greece. I like Tsitsipas. I really didn't see much of that. So I don't know. Like, I know in the United States... There's a lot of tennis fans who are not patriotic at all. So I, I don't know, like maybe maybe it's like that all around the world. Um, I'm sure some of it depends on how many players a country has. And then some of it depends on just like how prideful and patriotic probably your country is. So uh, I'm sure it kind of differs. So I think that's that's also a fascinating angle. Um I don't have much to add about the whole big three narrative, but I could understand why. And like you're talking about, obviously, full disclosure, I have a podcast like dedicated to only the big three. But I totally get why a diehard tennis fan can be a little bit tired of the fact that three players cast such a big shadow and generate so much attention from the fan bases and the media in the sport where there are really so many other players to appreciate. So I could, I could totally uh, see where that comes from. From Pedro, Federer is number one. After that, probably Medi. Seeing a guy of his size move and defend the way he does on a tennis court is magical. Some of the shots he pulls off are crazy, and the unorthodox form on his shots is funny. I also like his personality quite a bit, except when he gets mad and starts being disrespectful. I agree with the last part, and I've said this before. I really like his personality, but then I also think he's just a total a-hole sometimes, which is not ideal. Um, so... <laughs> In terms of the way he moves, uh, for his size and the shots he pulls off, he's totally an aficionado's player. Now, like he he'll he'll get mainstream, I think, if he continues to win and he'll have a big fan base. But there's just there's never been anyone who plays like him. And let's face it, that's a dynamic that comes with anything. If you are a big music fan, you're probably not going to be attracted to the most popular music being played on the radio all the time. You're going to look for stuff that is sounds interesting and sounds unique. If you are a food guy like me, a big foodie, you're probably going to be excited by new flavors, stuff that that tastes interesting, stuff that maybe a lot of other people wouldn't even try. Like that's the stuff that will excite you. And I just feel like Medvedev is that guy as a player. It's like, you know, this is something really new and and uh, unique. Um, yeah. From Max, my favorite player is Roger Federer. I fell in love with tennis watching him in the 2009 Australian Open final. I remember him crying in the ceremony, which made me root for him. I assumed he was the underdog in that match because Nadal was the top seed. Without being aware, he was trying to equal Sampras's record. His offensive style made the game seem simple, fun, and entertaining. More than that, he was willing to scrap and grind when needed. All this made the 2017 final win so much sweeter. My second favorite is Dominic Thiem. I initially didn't rate him too highly, but he proved me wrong in the 2018 U.S. Open final match against Rafa with not just power, but grit and tenacity. His improvement on hard courts every year between 
then and 2020 was a feel-good story with the level he achieved, especially his go-hard or go-home mentality. I really hope he finds the fitness and motivation to come back and show that his success wasn't an exception. And then also a question, what is a non-Big 3 Slam final and where you want to see? Um, okay, good one. Uh, for Federer, that's so funny because sometimes when you come into the sport really matters, right? So, like, you watching Federer and thinking he's the underdog there is really funny but also super understandable. Um, and, like, I feel like if you are a newer tennis fan or let's say you joined tennis in 2013, Federer has never been, like, the alpha dog favorite story for you. Whereas, you know, I think a lot of Novak Djokovic fans probably see Djokovic as sort of the underdog in this whole story or Nadal fans in 2005, 2006, you know, really through 2009, they saw Nadal as the underdog in that whole kind of rivalry. Well, it really changes because if you came around in like 2013, most of Federer's wins have been unexpected and Federer has been kind of that underdog. So it's just so interesting uh, to see that. And, and I appreciate that story. Uh, for team, I just I really agree with you. The period from 2018 to 2020, to see him periodically improve was such a rewarding story to follow. Um, so I agree with that. And then your question, a non-Big 3 slam final I want to see. I really want to see a Roland Garros final between Dominic Team and Stefano Tsitsipas. And I don't like... I don't have like an amazing reason to share with you guys, but uh, the Medvedev Tsitsipas rivalry is surface dependent, and I, I'm not interested in it. The Zverev Medvedev rivalry, I don't like. They play too similar. I just don't like their matches. Uh, the Zverev Tsitsipas rivalry, um, I mean, it's fine, I guess. I'm, I'm just they haven't played enough good matches really for me to get into it. I guess Acapulco was decent. Um, for team and, and Tsitsipas, they are kind of the clay era parents, uh, ignoring Alcaraz for now, and they haven't met in Paris. And I want to see that so bad. I want to know what happens, uh, what would happen. And also, um, talk about forehands that are really produced very differently, but but two of the best in the sport. And then, you know, you have the two one-handers. I just feel like they, they would, uh, it would just make for a, a really special clash and it for some reason it's just mouthwatering to me to think about that matchup from andrew fetter again this is alpha alphabetical so we might get um repeats fetter is my favorite to watch because of his smooth style and i also started watching tennis seriously in 2013 the narrative around him is that he was too old to win another slam was having too many injuries so when i became a fan it was sort of like rooting for an underdog that culminated in the 2017 australian open victory it was amazing outside of the big three i like watching vavrinka felix center medvedev curios so what I do sometimes when I do these mailbags is I read through all the comments and I think about all the things that I want to say. And this was an example of saying the thing earlier than I wanted to. So that whole spiel that I just did about when you come into the sport, obviously uh, that applies to that comment from Andrew. 
I love watching the big four play, but for the sake of putting more names into the hat, I'd say Fabio Fanini. He makes it look so easy. And when I first watched him, I thought he was walking around the court. He, he gets so much power on his ground strokes as well. His antics may be a bit much, but a very entertaining player nonetheless. I'm surprised that Fanini doesn't have more fans. Does he walk around like he thinks he is the greatest thing that has ever graced the earth? Yes. Does he try 100% all the time? Absolutely not. But the way... Uh, Talk about making it look easy. I mean, he makes it look easier than anyone. He makes it look easier than Federer. <laughs> I mean, it's his anticipation and then his easy power and the the way his ground strokes come off so smooth and so clean and so powerful. He takes the ball so early. Uh, I just think he is a fascinating player to watch, especially live because he's just so talented. His racket talent is up there with anyone, anyone in the world. From Kailash, I would uh, say Hugo Gaston is great to watch, very creative. Chilich when he is in full flow. Roger in full flow is a treat to the eye. I personally do not prefer play, uh, prefer machine-like players from an entertainment perspective. And it's it's interesting about that last point because some players take different joy in the sport. I hit with Joel Drucker um, a couple weeks ago, and Joel is a player who, if he hits the same shot over and over again, he actually gets bored. I'm not like that. You know, I can, if I hit like 10 perfect forehands in a row cross court, I actually kind of get a thrill out of that. Like I, I get a rush out of being machine-like and perfect. So, um, I think it's it would be the same thing for a viewer. Some viewers would admire that consistency and shot tolerance, but maybe sacrifice the variety, while other viewers want to see all these different kinds of shots, and they don't want to see the same shots over and over again. And Gaston is a great choice if you are someone who wants to see a lot of different shots and a lot of kind of weird, uh, different-looking points. Um, Chilich. Yeah, I think I think maybe you and one other comment said Chilich. I have never loved watching Chilich for some reason. I I think he's a a really great dude as well. So I like him off the court. But um, yeah, something something about just the something about his offensive game. I just haven't enjoyed as much as maybe some some other offensive games. And I don't know what the reason uh, reason for it really is. Maybe it's also his movement uh, and, and his footwork is just a little bit, uh, a little bit hard on the eyes to me, the way he moves. Um, and then just like what I said with Karatsev, like normally a player who's erratic is not generally my, my favorite. Also, I will say, um, I think clutchness is uh, is a factor here as well. Um, with with Chilich, that like sometimes I I just haven't really believed in him because of his nerves, and as a result of not believing in him, I haven't been intrigued as intrigued with him, and uh, that happens with me. Uh, another example of this is. Berrettini, who I really actually like to watch play and I like as a person, but if I'm being completely honest, 
do I am I like super excited for a Djokovic Berrettini semifinal? Not really, because I don't really believe that much in Berrettini, and maybe he'll prove me wrong, and it'll be great. But um, as a result, it just doesn't excite me as much, and I feel like Chilich has been that guy. From Sandeep, Medvedev, he's hilarious is the main reason, and the pace of his service games. I chose this comment mostly for the second part, because pace of play is an interesting one. I haven't, I didn't see anybody bring that up. But I do think that really aids the viewing experience, especially when when both players are slow and the match isn't great. Um, I think that can be somewhat tough to watch. Um, but then again, you know, when like Djokovic and Nadal play and they're both slow, the points are so good that nobody's thinking about how slow it is because it's it's just it's too good. You can't possibly think about that. Uh, five more comments, guys. From that gooner. This is very long. Nori, I only got into tennis um, the way I had always... Wait, hold on. I'm starting over. Nori, I only got especially into tennis the way I had always wanted to last year after Radu Kanu's U.S. Open campaign. I'm a Brit, so that run was amazing to watch. So I invested myself in the non-slam matches and found myself trying to find new players to support. I wanted to support another Brit on the men's side, so it almost came solely down to Evans or Nori based on who won when they played each other pre-Indian uh, Wells in San Diego. Nori won, and so I started watching him. At the time, I remember thinking that I would probably hate this player if he wasn't a Brit because his style seemed so boringly defensive. But as I watched more of him, I realized how great he was at constructing really long rallies, hitting his spots precisely with his forehand, and how having varied shot techniques from forehand to backhand made him such a unique package. Uh, there can be real lows when he's not hitting his spots on any given day. But the highs are super high because of long, well-constructed rallies can be so satisfying to see come off. So after getting crushed by Rude in the San Diego final, seeing him sweep through Indian Wells with so many of those types of points on such a slow court was incredible. Contivate caught my eye on the WTA side at the same time, so I started supporting her. That was during Ostrava, where her 20-match indoor streak began. That streak is not over, by the way. So maybe they both have me to thank for the peaks of their careers. Again, I love this because it's storytelling and it's it's so I mean first of all, kudos for you for for uh knowing clearly picking up this sport so quickly because you I can tell by your comment that you've you've uh really obtained a lot of more technical knowledge in a very short period of time and uh I mean yeah, I mean I, I feel like there's not it's a good reminder that there are some new newer tennis fans who might be watching my channel because I always kind of assume that most of uh, the people watching my channel aren't new tennis fans because I'm a little bit more niche and uh, in the weeds. So this is great to see. And uh, I, I love players who win long rallies as well. That's something that's always... Uh, been entertaining to me because if you can win a rally, especially with your physicality, I, I've i always found that kind of gladiatorial dynamic very attractive. So Nori is someone who definitely does that, outlasts, and has just the most amazing 
lungs, never gets tired, and uses that to his advantage, and it's super fun. Contivate is not similar, but Contivate is one of the most beautiful ball strikers I've ever seen, man or woman. I mean, it's just so, uh, especially, I mean, yeah, it's so, she centers the ball, like, and she, she, man, the consistent aggression, flat, deep, Hard. I mean, Contivate's just such a ball striker. Angelos. Djokovic and second Alexi Popperin because he plays attacking tennis and high-risk tennis, which makes him fun to watch when he is playing well. So first of all, very funny. I, I just didn't expect to see Popperin. And if you haven't noticed by now, the comments I'm including are generally uh, anytime there's like a weird player, I'm throwing them in. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, very different from Djokovic, but... Respect, respect. Andrew, uh, Rafa, probably my favorite to watch of the big three, but outside of that, I really do enjoy watching Medvedev. His playing style is so idiosyncratic, which I find pretty entertaining. I also think he has the best and most competitive rivalry against the big three and also against his fellow next slash current gen rivals. Yeah, I I, I do. I, I feel like Medvedev's Worst head-to-head, -head. I mean, Djokovic from a win-loss perspective isn't great, but, like, obviously, it's not in the big picture. We know that Medvedev's been very competitive with Djokovic. I guess the worst head-to-head -head has been Nadal. Nadal has been the only one that you could say has been somewhat dominant, but then they just played an epic. So that's a good point. Like, Medvedev, Medvedev really doesn't have an obvious foil other than a very slow court like clay court is his best rival <laughs> never, never thought of it that way okay crack myself up uh jose jack sock love that whippy western forehand also like watching him and dustin brown in doubles yeah that's a that's a sick doubles pair yeah i'm i'm with you jack sock though in the forehand i can't say i enjoy Jack Sock's forehand, but I, I also can't take my eyes off of it. So like, maybe I do enjoy it and I just don't realize it. From uh, Dean, team, so much energy, power, and flair and hits such heavy shots. He's simply amazing to watch and probably the best player there is currently when he is playing at his absolute best. Unfortunately, he has a greater degree of variance between his best and worst, but I've learned to accept that as a team fan. Hope he comes back strong. Team, the raw power in not just his shot making, not just off the ground, and it's there off the ground, but even in his movement and the energy that he exerts point in and point out. And the fact that like he only really has that that one gear of going absolutely all out, I find that very attractive to watch. Energy, power, heaviness. I mean, power is... Power is very, um, I don't know, like, sexy? I'm going to leave it at that. I'm getting weirder as this progresses, aren't I? Uh, Nicholas Von Schantz. 
For me, a peak Vavrinka is the most exciting to watch. The brute force, the shot making, the ability to be at your best when it matters the most. Even the breathtaking defense of the big four had nothing on Stan when his game was on. He just powered himself through everything. Some of the great rallies of the 2010s are Vavrinka teeing off against Djokovic's scrambling, Nadal scrambling. I totally agree with that. Uh, it really did make for like some of the, in my opinion, most fascinating matches and individual rallies uh, in recent history. But Vavrinka and team, it's the same thing. It's just like, especially power when it doesn't come from huge size. Um, and especially power when it's not too bang-bang. Power that still produces rallies because I do believe most tennis fans appreciate rallies. Nobody here said Isner. Nobody here said Opelka. I, I like watching a lot of Isner matches as long as it's not against another huge serve. I like I I actually enjoy Isner and Opelka personally. I, I really do. And I know that that might be surprising coming from a Ferrer guy, but I do. I think there's a lot of perks and benefits. But when tons of power comes off both wings, far behind the baseline you know, lots of kind of sustained aggression. And obviously Nadal is in that camp too. Uh, that is definitely a style that attracts a lot of fans. Just like um, some fans might go more towards the the more crafty variety. Uh, I want to see players come to net. I want to see players hit slice. I want to see players use drop shots. Um, I want to see players take the ball early and finish points. So, yeah, um, it's kind of, it's a different kind of aggression with Team and Vavrinka and Nadal. I would say, like, the other kind is more like, uh, more like Federer and Tsitsipas with kind of the, the point ending, force the issue, come forward kind of thing. Uh, so, so yeah, um, that was a bit of a tangent at the end there. So... I didn't take any stats, and I want to wrap it up with this. I didn't take any stats, and obviously, like, the people who comment on my mailbag is not any scientific data set whatsoever. But uh, I saw, obviously, predominantly Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. That's no surprise. Um, but in terms of the next gen, I saw way more love for team and Medvedev than I did for Tsitsipas and Zverev. In fact, there were just not really any comments saying that I like Zverev, I like Tsitsipas, which was uh, which was interesting. Um, some, you know, and then everyone else besides, you know, after the big three and then some Murray comments and then Vavrinka, Delpo, and team. After that, it was just, you know, your occasional, you know, no one was really a popular answer, but you saw a couple comments here or there. So uh, this was fun. I'm going to do this sometimes on weeks where uh, the tennis isn't at the 1,000 or the slam level. I'm going to give you guys a prompt, and we will do mailbags. Appreciate it. Um, remember... Uh, if you if you want, I do have a membership program. Hit the join button, um, and if you uh, that would uh, you would become a member. I would be able to see that you would get priority in answering comments, in me answering your comments in these mailbags, and it would be a donation 
of $2 per month. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.